0: Yes.
1: Where do babies come from anyhow?
0: Why, mothers bring them into the world.
1: But why do mothers bring them?
0: Johnny, by the grace of heaven, mothers are the only ones who know how to bring babies into the world. That's right, Dad. Mothers do bring babies into the world. But sooner than you may think now, your child will be old enough for a full explanation. So let's brush up on it. You and I.
2: I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Where Do Babies Come From, and Where Do Babies Go?
1: My brother and I became experts at knowing when the next trip to grandmother's was coming. The signs started popping up weeks ahead of time with mother's notebooks piling up on the kitchen table and her records getting louder and louder. She had rough drafts of her poems thumbtacked to the wall above her desk that kept spreading out until they were wallpapering the room. And the business of doing dishes started to slow down, and eventually it ground to a halt, forcing us to start drinking orange juice straight from the carton and eating Chinese takeout almost every night. All in all, these were pretty good days. But then we'd hear it. It's time you kids spend a little time with your grandmother. She's a wise woman, and you have much to learn from her, so pack your suitcases, my darlings. There was no arguing with mother when she was in one of her creative moods and needed to be alone. We loved seeing our grandmother, but we couldn't help but feel a little left out of our mother's life too, and so my brother and I gently sobbed as we stuffed clothes into our bags. And then that very night, we found ourselves at Grandmother's house, sitting on the Chesterfield in our pajamas, sipping hot chocolate. Mother says you have wise things to teach us, my brother said, making it sound almost like a challenge. That's true, Grandmother laughed. What can I teach you about tonight? Shall I tell you where babies used to come from? Well, they weren't delivered by storks, That's the silliest idea anyone ever had. And cabbage patches, don't make me laugh. When I was a girl in the 1940s, we all got our babies off a little strip of beach along the Vancouver shore. At the beach, we yelled. She put her fingers to her lips to quiet us down, and then she began the story. Back when I was a girl, babies were washed up from the ocean when the tide went out you would see their little bottoms peeking up from out of the sand, and if you dug them up quickly, they would be yours to keep. You had to wake up very early if you wanted a baby, because there were always loads of girls at the seashore looking for them. There was quite a commotion, girls running around frantically, because once the sun went down and the tide came back in, the babies were loosened from the sand and were swept back out to sea. Then it was pretty much all over, and you had to go home empty-handed. Girls would take the train out there, with little baskets of boiled eggs and bottles of white wine, and I was right there with them. We were still so young that it was exciting just to be riding the train alone, to have the wind in our hair and no parents around. Once you had a baby of your own, no one would ever tell you what to do again. You forgot about working at the factory. You forgot about not being pretty or not being able to type quickly enough or how much you hated all the household chores. We thought this was what being an adult was like. It was going to be all wine and roses and babies. But in truth, the train ride was the last time we would ever be so carefree. Everyone had warned us before we went down to the beach that being a mother was really, really difficult, and some of the older mothers knew it from experience. But when you thought about it on the train, you could only imagine the baby with little rain boots playing at the beach and saying it loved you. Although you rode the train alone, the proper thing to do was to have a fellow waiting back home for you. Some girls chose wisely when it came to picking fathers, paying attention to what a man did for a living and what his character was like. But other girls were complete fools. Choosing a man because he was good at pool, or looked good in a t-shirt, or because other people liked to be around him because he laughed and made jokes. That he was temporarily out of work and had a criminal, criminal record was of no immediate concern. Sometimes a girl got so excited about meeting a fellow she particularly liked that she rushed off to the beach to get a baby before she was even married. There were a couple of these girls on the train when I went. They hadn't packed any lunch or made any preparations for the journey. All they had were the hickeys on their necks and their heads full of dreams. They wandered the shore, kicking up water with stars in their eyes. There were a couple girls riding in front in first class who'd married really well and wore fancy shoes and expensive tailored dresses. And they had nannies with them who were going to help with the babies the minute they got them out of the water. But in spite of all this, the rich girls were still going to have to take off their shoes and tights and get their feet wet in the sand like all of us. I remember one girl just having found her baby, suddenly starting to cry because she realized that one day her little baby was going to die. Another girl became terrified because her baby was going to be raised in a world where there was war. And one girl was worried that her little boy would fall in love with someone who didn't love him back. There was one mother who didn't seem to really want a kid at all. Her mother-in-law had come with her and kept nudging her to go on. She would look back and claim that the water was too cold. That there were no more babies in there. She would get distracted and start collecting seashells and disappear behind the rocks, claiming to see some baby bottoms over there. When her mother-in-law went to check on her, she found her sitting on a rock and reading a paperback novel. In the end, she found one in the moonlight. A baby with dark, dark, dark brown eyes. The baby looked at her suspiciously, and she felt as if neither of them particularly wanted to belong to one another. She didn't particularly want to be a mother, and he didn't particularly want to be someone's child. He hadn't asked to be born, yet there they were, all together, a new family boarding the last train of the night back home. Mm -hmm. "'Wait,' I said, interrupting her. "'You could still find babies at night?' "'Yes,' said Grandmother. "'These were the night babies. "'You see, although some girls didn't want babies, "'most of us did. "'And some of the unlucky ones who hadn't found one yet "'grew desperate and refused to go home empty-handed. "'And that's how they found them, "'by stepping out further and further into the water, "'looking and looking.' knowing that there had to be a baby out there somewhere. But the only babies you could catch at that point were the babies swimming around in the ocean. People often said it was just better sometimes to leave the children alone in the water after a certain point. Once they'd had a taste of the sea, it was hard for them to ever really adapt to ordinary life. But what's so different about night babies, I asked. Well... After a whole day of swimming in the night night ocean, they had too many extra hours of dreaming. They had already got it into their heads that they weren't going to be discovered, that they were going to be absolutely alone in the world, left to sleep with the fish. And in the sea, the little colorful fish flitted around these babies as if a pinata had been split open in front of their faces and there were candies falling from the sky. The fish whispered their secrets to these babies, telling them tales about drowning sailors and women who fell overboard in lovely dresses that opened like umbrellas, how the women sank to the bottom of the sea with their eyes closed and their mouths open, as if waiting for kisses. As the babies floated through the water, The octopuses reached out and put their arms around them. That feeling of being wrapped up in eight arms could never be duplicated. And once they'd been rescued, when they were full-grown, these babies could never be satisfied by only two arms. When you hugged them, they always wanted more, and so they were always lonely. When they went out dancing, they held their partners too tight and wept and wept. When you meet them, you'll see they have a propensity to drink too much at weddings and birthdays. They like that feeling of the room rocking back and forth and of losing control and tumbling over. Being under the sea was like always falling down the stairs, except that you didn't get hurt. Night babies stay out late, for there is no morning or night under the deep, deep sea. back, I realized that I myself was too young to be going down looking for babies. I was married at nineteen, you know, and completely clueless about everything. Then grandmother sighed. Maybe that's why I ended up with a night baby. My brother and I hopped off the couch. "'You had a night baby?' we yelled. "'Mother is a night baby?' My brother and I jumped around with a million questions. "'Did you ever regret getting a baby later than the other girls?' I asked. "'Never,' grandmother said. "'I liked having a little brown-eyed girl who was obviously a poet. "'And that's why your mother weeps when she hears music she likes on the radio, "'and why she waters flowers in the middle of the night "'and is always doodling stars on the margins of her paper. "'Is it a bad thing?' "'Brother asked nervously. "'Oh, no. "'Whether your baby was found during the day or at night, "'you love it just the same. "'You see, all mothers think they've magically found the perfect baby, "'and they are all convinced that their baby is more beautiful than all the others. "'And they give them their very favorite names. "'They named them after grandfathers and mothers and saints "'and movie actors and lovely flowers and military generals.' all sorts of new names for all sorts of new people. Most of the fathers, like the mothers, fall in love with their babies at first sight. They weep and love them madly with a love that lasts the rest of their lives, for a single soul requires more love than there is water in the ocean. And then we were all quiet. It was so sad and sweet to imagine Grandmother as a young girl looking for a baby down at the beach, Her feet bare and cold and the sun going down and then grandmother beckoned us to her side telling us our mother would be back in good time and both my brother and i hugged her with all of our might we hugged her just like we were little night babies too reaching out for human arms from under the waves
0: By the ninth month, your little room is getting very crowded because you're now big and strong. You're about 14 inches long, you weigh six or seven pounds, and you've turned around, head down, waiting to get out of your nest and be born into the world. And then one day, your mother knows by the way she feels that you're ready to be born. The muscles of her body start to tighten up so that the sides of your little room begin to push in and out, squeezing down harder and harder until at last you are forced down and out of the mother's body, and then, almost at once after being born, you give a little cry. That's the way you start to breathe. And if you don't give this cry by yourself, sometimes the doctor gives you a little spank on the bottom, and that makes you cry. And from that moment on, you breathe by yourself for the rest of your life. Hello.
3: Hey, Howard. How you, how you doing there? I'm doing very fine. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. That's good. You haven't heard from me for a little while. I've, I've been kind of off the off the map for the past little while. I
2: you called me last night.
3: I did. I you know, in all honesty, I'm I'm you know. Where do you think <laughs> I am right now? Where yeah. in, the, in, the, in the depths of your ignorance can you? You guess that I am right now, don't hurt yourself.
2: Uh, I mean, sitting at, sitting at home, probably lying in your bed? I don't know.
3: I'm sitting on a fauteuil, my friend. A fauteuil? Chesterfield.
2: A Chesterfield. You mean a, a,
3: a couch? I'm surrounded by magnificent opulence, wealth, and privilege.
2: Oh, is your mom out of town again?
3: No, my mom's not out of town, Jonathan. Let's just say I've been entrusted to tend to this beautiful home of one of my clients.
2: What clients are you referring to?
3: The, the Smith family and my paper route. They're they're out for the for the week, and they asked me to take care of the plants.
2: W- were you living there now?
3: This is my home. Home well, the, for for the next little while. Well,
2: well, well, are you sure that you're supposed to be doing that?
3: They never said I'm not supposed to be doing that.
2: Maybe they just assumed that you'd be coming by to water their plants.
3: I'm keeping to the agreement. I'm taking care of their plants and garden. They uh-huh. asked me to do so. Yeah, but I figure as long as I'm here, just to check up on the place. Mm-hmm. Right when you walk in, the first thing is this gorgeous saltwater aquarium. Next to the aquarium, a whole shelf full of antique vases you, and sculptures and crystals. You
2: haven't touched anything, have you? I'm
3: touching everything.
2: Howard, I can stop touching I, stuff. Howard, that's there's real. A
3: chandelier, there's silverware. I can't get enough of it.
2: Can I make a suggestion? Anything that you've touched, just put back exactly where you found and, and just get out of there.
3: Okay? Oh, first of all, I'll never figure out how to put it back in order. I already have this whole thing all set up like in my own way.
2: What, what do you have
3: set up in your own way? Just rearranged some stuff to my taste. I moved the rug and the table just so I could put my feet up on it in front of the TV. You know, the other thing I, really, I thought was really great, they had, when I say crates full of Perrier and San Pellegrino, so what I did was I just filled the basin behind the toilet full of Perrier. Isn't that just crazy?
2: It is crazy, and why would you need to do that?
3: For the hell of it. These people are rich, Jonathan.
2: How how are you going to explain that kind of behavior?
3: Get, keep What's to explain? The man is going to be pleased. He says, "Howard, here are the keys to my house." But you know what? Don't eat my foie gras. Don't smoke my cigars. Don't listen to my sounds. oh I he that's great. Mean, don't wear my wife's clothing. Who would even? Who would even think of such a thing? He obviously wants me to do this.
2: What thing. did he say to you?
3: Can you please water my plants?
2: Have you ever socialized with this man before? No. What they socialize? Are you are you friends? No. And I'm, yet and yet you feel that you should be. You know, you should have your run of the place.
3: Yes. Let let me just give you a tour of this place, and maybe that'll that'll wise you up a bit. I'm just going to switch to the cordless here, and so I can give you a tour. Cordless, Jonathan, a cordless telephone.
2: Howard, you have a cordless telephone at home.
3: Bah, bah. Oh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Let me just, uh, as we do our, as we as I take you on our tour, let me just switch this little button here. We have kind of a general music system for the entire house. See that? You don't see that in regular homes. No. All right, here we are in the master bathroom now. Here, now Jonathan, maybe you can listen Listen carefully. I'm going to flush the toilet. Do you hear the fizz? No. That's all Perrier. You, oh, God, Howard. It's all Perrier, just wasted. So, I mean, uh, along with this other stuff, here they have this fantastic transparent glass LED scale. And mm-hmm. it, it makes me feel well, bad about myself, but in an expensive way. See, it says here, I am 18 stone, 18 and a half stone. So I was an 18-pound baby, so this is 18 stone, whatever that means. So I guess I am i feel I f- I feel light as a baby.
2: Why, why does it give your weight in stones?
3: They're rich, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Everything's English. Right. I was using the man's toothbrush, and I can't even tell why you... Why
2: would you use his toothbrush?
3: I figured somehow I could maybe kind of leech some of his wealthy energy.
2: By brushing your teeth with his toothbrush.
3: Something akin to eating his heart. And then over here, there's an observatory... And he actually has a big, big telescope. It's beautiful. I like to swing it around. They have these like, kind of like... Whoa, Howard.
2: What was that? What was that?
3: Practicing some of these roundhouse kicks on the... I thought it was like a Wing Chun dummy. Like, eh. Yeah, you hear that? That's it. snap not pretty easy there. If that were a man's limb, that would be very effective. So now I'll exit this room here. Now if I take you right to the other side... Now, in this whole room, there are all kinds of just, I mean, all kinds of fantastic treasures, anything you can possibly imagine. I went through every drawer so far. You and d-
2: I, d- you, you, you really shouldn't be poking around like that.
3: If this man didn't want me to go through the drawers, he would have locked everything. I mean, everything is widely open.
2: Well, seriously, Howard, I mean, usually the assumption is if you, there's someone who's house-sitting for you or watering your plants... Mm-hmm. They're not going to go through all of your personal belongings.
3: I've gone through every single book on this man's shelf looking for some hidden money. I've gone through every nook and cranny.
2: Well, what, it's not yours. You're, you're not going to keep money that you find in his books. Well, if it's lost. It's I'm not lost. It. It's in his house.
3: But it would be hidden away in a book or something.
2: Well, the hidden. Hidden. It's not lost.
3: Hidden, lost, blah, blah, blah.
2: You know, um, Howard, honestly... Uh,
3: uh, what's this here? The guy has cheddar cheese, not craft cheese. He has... Cheddar cheese, Jonathan. See, thing that kills me is that he doesn't have any servants. I was looking for a servants' quarter. I went around the back. I had to pry off a lock, and it was just a private garage. Wait, what he did
2: you say about? Cars. And what did you say about the locks before? You said if you didn't want someone to go someplace, you would. And
3: in a house, like for a drawer,
2: that would you would put a lock this on. This
3: was like a uh, like a shed in the back. And I thought that maybe he had servants, and because he was away for the week, that he locked them into the cabin. He
2: like. would lock up his servants. Yeah. Under lock and key. Well,
3: you ship with stuff like that for wealthy people. You know, pharaohs would even be buried with their servants. Mm-hmm.
2: This
3: looks like crystal. Oh.
2: Oh, boy. Howard, did you just break something? No, no. Well,
3: well, what was that? Something.
2: Well, You just broke a vase? I don't think it
3: was a vase.
2: Howard, listen to me. Get out of there before you do any more damage. What are you
3: talking about? I'm all settled in. I have a movie all ready to go. I got the stereo on. The jacuzzis full of San Pellegrino. I've been working towards this my entire life.
2: W- working towards what?
3: Towards, w- working towards, towards, towards a life working of leisure, towards wealth and privilege.
2: No, you haven't been working towards this at all. I mean, you, you've, you've, you've basically, what you're talking about is a home invasion.
3: Jonathan, did you get the keys to come? Did, did Mr. Smith say, Jonathan Goldstein, here are the keys to my home. Come no. to my beautiful, no. palatial home. He didn't. No, he didn't, but I did. When you go home to bed tonight, what are you going to be sleeping on? A futon, right? A mm. ratty old futon, right? Well, yeah. What am I going to be sleeping on? An emperor-sized bed with silken sheets with eight pillows. And why am I here? I
2: don't.
3: I'm a trustworthy person, Jonathan. And also, th- 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 this is. I mean, the guy, the guy has paintings in the house. He has sculptures. There's little, little pedestals with sculptures around the house. I, I, I'm not going back. I don't care what you say. I'm not going back.
2: You're not going back. What, do you, what are you talking
3: about? I, I've grown accustomed to this lifestyle.
2: Howard, you've only been staying there a few days.
3: I have some time here. I still have some time here. I'm here till the twenty third to absorb all the, all the the, the lessons of this.
2: Space. Wait, Howard. Sorry, the twenty third of September.
3: Yeah, that's a lot of time for me. You know, there, there are books for me to read.
2: I've, I've, have you to looked at a, a calendar lately?
3: The, it's funny to say because the man actually has. I'm pretty sure this is gold leaf. Do, do, even do, the calendar is gold leaf?
2: Howard, today is the twenty third of September.
3: Today is the one second here. One second, twenty third. This is impossible. Twenty third Tuesday. That's today, Howard. September. Thursday, Thursday, Friday. What time is it now?
2: It's, it's 3 o'clock.
3: It's Tuesday, 23rd of September. Okay, the man's coming home in... Okay, he's coming home in two and a half hours. Okay, John, Mr. Smith is coming home in two and a half hours. I don't know how this is possible. I've only been here for like...
2: Okay, a, Howard, just I, uh, clean things up and get out of there,
3: okay? 23rd, 23rd.
2: Howard.
0: Howard. Okay, just wait, Okay, wait, Howard, listen. Howard, Howard, listen. What?
3: I put the mean coat, I put the mean coat back on the rack. I was naked. Then one second, what did I do? To, okay, John, you're going to come here now, okay? You're okay,
2: going to come here all now. all right, Howard, just...
3: John, do you know how to fix the
2: harpsichord? Howard, you need to start cleaning. Well, i get a
3: cigar. I'm going to go to the humidor. Okay, listen. Howard, just... Listen, I'm okay. enough for Westmount. Okay. I'm enough for Westmount. Okay, the air is thin. I can't think. The air is I can't breathe. I need to periate. You're making me the periate. Wait, Vladimir? Howard, you don't need to periate right now. In the meantime, I'm going to drink with my toilet. They did a bad, bad thing. They did a bad, bad thing. They did a bad, bad thing.
0: They did a bad, bad thing. They did a, a bad, bad thing. And after human babies are born, they need a lot more time to grow up than do the fish or the birds or the other animals. When a human baby is two or three years old, it would die if its mother and daddy didn't take care of it all the time. And it'll be many, many years before it's able to leave home and go out in the world and not be lost or hungry. Now, every living person in this world began life in this way. It is a lovely and wonderful story that will be repeated all over again when you grow up and find the person you love and who will love you and with whom you will have babies of your own.
1: Little monster babies destroying my town. I built it out of blocks and they knocked it down. I built it back up, they knock it back down. Little monster babies destroying my town.
2: On Wiretap today, you heard Howard Chakwitz and Heather O'Neill reading her short story where babies come from. Ms. O'Neill is the author of Lullabies for Little Criminals. Wiretap is produced by Mira bertwin Carolyn Warren, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Production assistants from Crystal Duhame. Tune into Wiretap Sundays at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Wednesday nights at 11.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash cbc.ca down. Down.
1: Sleepy little monsters wanna lie down. They're getting very grumpy and they're starting to frown. So hush everybody, don't make a sound. Sleepy little monsters wanna lie down. La 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 la